Welcome to Monsters and Demons, Cold Case MHS, where real education meets real life. I'm your host, Randy Hubbard, and I'm also the instructor for the Mason High School Cold Case Program, and we thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us on episode 2 of Monsters and Demons. In many of the cases we will discuss, the monster who committed the crime is often hiding in plain sight. They somehow suppress the horror of that day or night deep in their soul, holding on to a secret that burns to be released. The students of Cold Case MHS are trying to keep the names of the victims like Patty Ann Atkins alive in hopes that one day that secret will find its way out to the police and justice can be served. On June 29, 2001, shortly after midnight, 29-year-old Patty Ann Atkins clocked out of her shift at the Honda plant in Marysville, Ohio. As a single mother and a hard worker, she was excited for a week-long vacation from work. Her and her married boyfriend planned to spend a week in a remote cabin in Canada, but she never returned from the trip. Her sister, Marcia Pitts, called the boyfriend after Patty never returned home on Sunday, July 8th, but the boyfriend denied ever even knowing Patty. It's the summer of 2001 in Marysville, Ohio, a town known for two things, the shady maple trees lining the streets and the Honda plant that opened up in 1979. Later that year, 9-11 would occur, and security and technology will be revolutionized. But for now, the most exciting things to look forward to was the 4th of July, where the Honda plant gave all its employees the week off, as the plant was under construction. Who is Patty, and why would anybody want to hurt her? What's hiding in the shadows of this small town, dubbed the Shaded City? Patty Ann Adkins was a single mother who had recently divorced her husband, Gary, though they continued to have a friendly relationship. She was 29 years old, with blonde hair, brown eyes, and a flower tattoo on her lower back. At her job, she was a supervisor, usually the last one to clock out at night, and was expecting another promotion. She had a close relationship with her family, and she asked her sister to babysit her daughter in preparation for her week-long vacation due to her workplace being under construction. Following the divorce, Patty started a new relationship with a married man around Thanksgiving of 2000. They both worked at the Honda plant, and Patty would often visit his line during her shift. It was more of an emotional affair, as the two rarely met outside of work. Although it was supposed to be a secret, many of their coworkers knew about it, and Patty told her family much about the relationship. Between her young daughter, her cats, and her golden retriever, and the fact that Patty had scheduled a hair salon appointment shortly after the trip, the police find it unlikely that Patty ran away. In fact, she lived a near-perfect life, except for the fact that she was $90,000 in debt. According to her family, she loaned the money to help her boyfriend buy out his auto repair company before divorcing his wife, meaning that Patty had drained her retirement funds and taken out a second mortgage on her house. The police on the case have been unable to locate the missing $90,000, which the boyfriend had apparently promised to start paying back in July of 2001. Despite the countless podcasts, articles, and documentaries dedicated to covering Patty's case, there is little evidence for a conviction. It's been nearly 20 years since Patty went missing, and her body has still not been found. Despite the missing body, both members of Patty's family and the police consider Patty to be dead, not a missing person. Following Marcia's call to Patty's boyfriend, where the boyfriend had denied knowing Patty completely outside of work, 
Marsha filed a missing persons report with the Marysville Police Department on July 8th. Shortly after, it was transferred to the Union County Sheriff's Office. The police searched the boyfriend's house on July 13th and found evidence of gifts, souvenirs, and letters that Patty had sent, which then confirmed their relationship. They also found newly poured concrete that cadaver dogs indicated to possibly have human remains, although nothing was found when the police dug it up. We couldn't help but wonder, had Patty's body been there before and then removed? Additionally, on the boyfriend's truck cover, there was a blood spot, but it was too small to test due to the limitations of 2001 technology. According to Patty's family, Patty and her boyfriend were supposed to leave for Canada immediately after their shift ended. Patty was not supposed to bring anything on the trip, as they would buy anything they needed when they got there, as the boyfriend stated. But she ended up bringing a small teal duffel bag with a few clothes in it, which was then never located. Patty would hide in the truck while the boyfriend drove a co-worker home, then Patty would jump out and sit in the front after the co-worker had been dropped off. This was confirmed later in the investigation as cat hairs matching the cats that Patty owned and had brought to the kennel earlier that day were found in the bed of the truck, but none were found in the front seat. So did she ever even make it there? According to the boyfriend and corroborated by his wife and the co-worker, he arrived home at his usual time of 2.30 a.m. after taking a detour at a Burger King drive-thru, which took 45 minutes. However, after police talked to the restaurant manager, the manager had said that a wait time of 45 minutes would be nearly impossible that early in the morning. When questioned about the affair, his wife said she had no knowledge of it. The boyfriend also failed a polygraph administered by police. He quit his job shortly after Patty's disappearance and moved away with his family. We began our own investigation by researching through public records. This included finding news articles, Facebook pages, and even just inputting the name Patty Ann Atkins into the search bar. From an internet standpoint, Patty's case had been researched and looked through a thousand times. We watched documentaries, we found multiple on YouTube, and some on individual websites. Groups like True Crime Daily and even a Netflix series had already delved into this case and found the same conclusion. It had to be the boyfriend. No one else had the means, motive, or opportunity like he did. We began compiling information from all of our sources onto a huge whiteboard, beginning with name, location, and family members, and ending with, quote unquote, things that don't add up. We were able to create a timeline based on news articles that outline dates for us as well. We ran into some serious obstacles along the way. The largest was the inability to find the name of the boyfriend. An alleged lawsuit was filed some years ago, so if you take the time to Google this case, you won't be able to find his name anywhere. As tech-savvy teens, we turned to social media. We discovered a Facebook page called Justice for Patty Ann Atkins, where people were able to read about the case and make comments with opinions. This page is actually still active today, but with considerably less posts. If you scroll down enough years, the comments become more aggressive and candid. It was very apparent how much anger this case caused so many people and even strangers closer to the period of time where it actually took place. In a comment from 2015, a member of the group had written a nasty comment, but within it was the name of the number one suspect right there in front of us. We won't be giving his name here as we don't want to be involved in any legal action, but if you are really curious, if you search hard enough, you'll find it. With so many people investing in a case, some information was different per source. We struggled finding an exact amount of time it would take the boyfriend to get home. This number was crucial in identifying if he would have enough time to get rid of Patty and get home at 2.30 a.m. The difference between just 30 minutes and 15 minutes is huge in this case. Any address we found that connected to the boyfriend was two to three hours away from the plant, so they didn't help. The boyfriend and the co-worker claimed that they spent 45 minutes in a Burger King drive-thru, 
but the manager of the store reported that that 45 minutes after midnight simply didn't happen. So how else could those 45 minutes be accounted for in the timeline? Finding out how long it would take the boyfriend to drive to his co-worker's house and his house from the plant is essential to our investigation. But we hit roadblock after roadblock due to the lack of specific travel data for this case. Our investigation offered a different goal than other groups in our class. Patty's case lacked a body rather than just a conclusion. We knew our research had to be all about location. We had figured out where the Honda plant was by a simple Google search, but lacked addresses for the biggest players in this case. This is where those more, quote unquote, sketchy investigations come in. We started by looking through public court records of Patty's and were able to find legal documents from her divorce that included her home address at the time. We used a website called True People Search, which offered us information on the boyfriend and his possible addresses and relatives. It's honestly frightening how much you can find about a person with just a name and a location. Then Google Earth and Maps became some of our greatest assets during this process. We were able to pinpoint the Honda plant, Patty's home address, and potential address for the boyfriend, and found distances and times between all three. We were also able to mark landmarks that may have been a dump site for Patty's body. Marysville is surrounded by open fields but lacks many wooded areas. It is likely she could have been dumped in farmland or an open field nearby, but we wanted to explore other options. We found that the boyfriend was a fisherman, so we could assume that he may have weighed her down and put her in a body of water. We found Indian Lake, which is only a 38 minute drive from the Honda plant. With a two hour and 30 minute window of this time, this looked like a promising option for what could have happened. We marked Indian Lake as well as Oshanesi Reservoir. With location being the majority of our investigation, we also tried to find information on who Patty was as a wife, sister, a mother. We wanted to get better insight as to why she was willing to travel with her boyfriend in Canada with no phone, packed items, or even an exact location as to where they were going. We attempted to contact the lead investigator of the case. With the case being labeled as open, we hit a dead end. Most of our victimology was collected just like the rest of our investigation through Facebook posts, podcasts, and documentaries. From what we understand, this action was out of Patty's nature. She was usually very attentive, loving, and a dependable woman. Her sisters still question what made her believe her boyfriend was to be trusted. As we continue our research, we are still trying to gain as much information as we can on who Patty was. We are currently reaching out to podcasts and eventually we would like to reach out to her sisters. Obviously with them being a close-knit family, they will know Patty best. Due to the large quantity of information on Patty, many people have taken to speculating online about who could be involved. Many cited the boyfriend, wife, and co-worker as possible persons of interest. Others claim that it's possible Patty died accidentally, perhaps through suffocating while under the truck cover. Due to the family's testimony, police have ruled it extremely unlikely that Patty ran away. However, without a body, it's hard to know exactly what happened to her. Without a body, it's unlikely that police will be able to convict someone and give peace of mind to the family. Our main goal has been to locate Patty's body. We reached out to Lieutenant Steers, the lead investigator, to try and gather some information. Our next plan of action is to contact Patty's sister, Marsha Pitts, and learn more about Patty's habits and personality, as well as other people who are close to the case. 20 years have passed, and there are still no answers. Patty Ann Atkins is out there somewhere, and someone knows where she is. The students have spent endless hours trying to figure out a way to help Patty and her family. If anyone out there knows anything about the location of Patty's body, or what might have happened to Patty, please contact Detective Styers of the Marysville Police Department. The students working on these cases are drawn to them for many reasons. Zoe and Reagan took a little bit of time to share with me some of the reasons why they decided to try to help Patty Ann Atkins and her family. Why did you pick this particular case? 
One of the things that kind of drew me into this case personally is that like, as I started to look into this case, there was like a high level of solvability to it that some of the other cases I looked into didn't have. When I was looking on the Ohio governor's website, there was a lot of stuff about, oh, this person got shot and that was all the information you had. Or there was a body found in this place and that was all the information you had. But with Patty's case, what made it so interesting was that there were so many podcasts and articles and there were so many people talking about it that it's, it was very interesting. There was a lot of information you could find and a lot of leads that you could think about to go through. And then the other thing that was different about Patty's case was that there wasn't a body. So that brings like a whole another level of interesting because that's another target you could look for is where is the body? Why haven't police been able to find it? What if we find the body? How is that going to impact the case if we do find the body? So Patty's case felt very different in those senses. It didn't get left behind just because there wasn't a lot of leads. There were a lot of leads that we could look through. So what are some things that you have learned while researching Patty's case? I think we definitely learned the extent of how necessary a body or a concrete ending to a case is needed to convict someone and how police are given that block it can almost end a complete case when all the information we needed to convict her boyfriend of killing Patty yet we were unable to just because there was no body found even if there was the cadaver dogs were able to pick up her scent at his house, there still was no concrete evidence of her being found there. And understanding how important that is was something we definitely learned and how important it is to explore every avenue, whereas we necessarily wouldn't have thought location or looking at a Google map would be nearly as important as it was. When given the timeline, we had to understand of how spread out Marysville was to completely be able to figure out the boyfriend's track and how everything didn't add up between his story of the Burger King and all that kind of stuff. Definitely looking at different ways to investigate is something that is critical to the cold case investigation. As you listen to the students tell Patty's story, you start to realize how much they really care. They would love to find that missing piece of evidence to bring Patty home and allow her to rest in peace. Until then, the monsters and demons continue to hide in plain sight. I would like to thank Kylie, Reagan, Zoe, and Sydney for all their hard work on this case and this podcast. Next episode 3, we will hear about a strange murder of Angela Marie Steele and how her killer could be hidden in pictures. That morning I woke up and she wasn't there and I just got ready for school and he just kind of, I don't know, you know. <laughs> so we lived so far out in the country, we had like a half mile long lane to get back to our house. So essentially we got in the car and we, my bus stop, they wouldn't come clear out to our house so we had to go to this other house that was like about a mile away so um we got the car and we're driving and it wasn't even a half mile from turning from our lane and there was a just a burnt car frame 
Thank you for joining us, and tune in next time to Monsters and Demons, Hidden in Pictures. The song Monsters and Demons is written and performed by Jenna Brandt. This song and all her music can be heard on all music streaming media, as well as Facebook and YouTube. Monsters and demons in the darkness can't see them. In the light you can't see them. They don't want to be seen. Hidden in pictures, in words left unspoken. If there can be beauty, it must have a shadow. I was a victim of pretty lies. Sharp cuts and I won't let my walls down now, now No boogeyman, slender man could ever break me I've been shook so many times so nothing's gonna shake me Can't say I'm not afraid, the terror is consuming Yeah, you did me wrong, all you ever did was use me Even if I hide away, the monsters find me anyway If I choose to sin today, I let the evil get to me I could spend my time blaming you for what I do or I could empathize Cause I know you have your monsters too Monsters and demons In the darkness can't see about me yeah yeah my selfishness keeps me silent yeah yeah my demons are all around me yeah yeah don't want me to make a sound oh no 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 boogeyman slender man could ever break me i've been shook so many times so nothing's gonna shake me can't say i'm not afraid the terror is consuming yeah you did me wrong all you ever did was use me even if i hide away the monsters find me anyway I choose to sin today, I let the evil get to me 